Well, hello, ladies and gents, Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I've got special guest Leah Williamson on. She is a nutritional therapy practitioner, so we dive into all things nutrition. We talk about paleo for quite a bit. We talk about keto. Uh, we even talk about the vegan diet because she's, she's in Australia, so the Game Changers documentary made some waves over there. We talked about that. Uh, we dove deep into nutrition for kids, like young kids, the youth, uh, how to kind of prepare them to eat properly in life. So really enjoyed that conversation, learned a ton, hope you enjoyed as well. Sit back, relax, enjoy the podcast with Leah Williamson. And we're live. Leah, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks very much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you picked up the, uh, we connected here on the call and I could tell instantly that you were not from America, the, the Australian accent's <laughs> coming through just a little bit. You can tell straight away with the Australian accent against the American one, can't you? Yes, yes. I think, I think I've got an accent too. Everybody tells me I've got an accent anyways. You have quite a, a like deep American accent uh, compared to a lot of people, I feel. so. But it's good. I like the sound of it. Good old southern accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so you're a nutritional therapist practitioner. I want to dive into all things uh, nutrition as it relates to keto. And I've had a few NTPs on the podcast before. And it seems like they mostly focus on the digestive aspect. Uh, so we can definitely touch on that. But I'd love to kind of get some backstory from you and learn about what made you want to go down that path in the first place. Yeah, so I've had quite the journey. I wasn't ever interested in nutrition. In fact, like I used food more as a, you know, emotional kind of reaction to whatever was going on. So if I was feeling happy, I'd eat. If I was feeling sad, I'd eat. And it didn't matter what kind of food it was because I just didn't even know what how food could make you feel. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of digestive issues as a child. I was tired all the time. So I would basically eat food and then sleep. And I wasn't a very active child. So I would just kind of read books and watch television and not get out and move much. And so I was quite chubby as a child. And I was um, picked on, like bullied a lot by other children and still never made any of that connection. And as I got older, things got worse. And in my early 20s, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune condition. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Like, this is going to be the answer to all my problems. I'm going to take this medication and everything's going to be fine. But it didn't. And while it might have regulated some of the crazy moods I was having, I was still feeling really fatigued and really tired, like really tired, like you, like almost like you couldn't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. um, my, my husband said to me, well, he's my you know partner at the time. He was like, you know, um, if you don't want to go to work, you don't have to go to work. You know, like if you, you could change your job and I'm like, no, it's not that I physically just can't get up moving and out of bed. Like you, you don't understand. It's not a, a mental kind of thing. It's like a physical thing. So it was like really chronically fatigued, digestive system getting worse and, um, luckily, like fortunately I was able to give birth to my first child. And then I reached like the peak, like I was, looked at myself in the mirror. I was tired. I couldn't run around with this new baby. I was barely functioning through like my digestive system was almost like at a standstill. My blood sugar regulation was all over the place. I was snacking all the time. And then you team that with a newborn and you're not sleeping and all those kind of things that are happening. And I was like, I've got to do something about this. And this was, you know, like six or seven years ago and CrossFit was just coming through mm -hmm. to Australia. And 
I thought, oh, I'm going to go join CrossFit and just, you know, this is going to be the answer again, you know, and over the years I'd always kind of like yo-yo dieted. So, you know, I always joke because like I've tried every diet there's out there except for like the lemon detox diet because it had to have some kind of food involved in it. (laughs) And so, um, so I joined CrossFit thinking that I'd out exercise whatever was happening there. And when I got there, I was introduced to this really awesome community and they were telling stories about these people like um, Rob Wolf and, you know, um, Lauren Cadane and all these people. And I was kind of like, wow, this is, this is fascinating. It got me interested. And I tried like a, you know, a 30 day challenge with them, which was just transitioning to real food. And within two weeks, I felt amazing. Like I couldn't believe the difference that it had made to my energy levels. And I went home to my husband and I was like, we've got to try this new diet that's coming through. It's called the paleo diet. And he's like, oh, great, another diet. But he was very supportive. And he said, okay, we'll we'll give it a try. And he's like very tall, thin, never had any weight issues. And within a few weeks, he was feeling fantastic as well. And that's when we made the transition to switch over to real food for the entire family. And I went on to lose 30 kilos, which I'm not sure what that is in pounds, but a significant amount of weight and clear up my digestive issues, have endless amounts of energy. And that's what really sparked my interest in nutrition. And, you know, around that time, people were starting to come out to Australia and I saw a low carb down under event, which is similar to the low carb Denver and those kind of events that Mm -hmm. you guys have. And I, Uh, saw Jimmy Moore talking and he said if you're having like really good success with low carb or paleo or whatever it is um, we've got to get out there and tell as many people as possible and that's when I kind of was like yeah I wanted I wanted to get out there and tell as many people as possible so we started a meetup group and just from there things grew and I was looking around to study and in Australia there's not many choices you can basically be a dietitian which I did not want to do because I don't believe in the food pyramid paradigm or the Australian standard diet, which is very similar to the American standard diet. And that's when I decided to study with the Nutritional Therapy Association. And that's what I I do now. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner that believes in real food as we all do, but I specialize in applying nutritional therapy to low carb ketogenic paleo style diets. Gotcha. Gotcha. That paints a good picture. So when you were uh, really struggling with the Hashimoto's and everything, you're just looking bleak. Did you, for a moment, think that it was uh, a result of all the, the diet mistakes you've made up to that point, or did you kind of like not put the two together? I never put the two together until I actually tried real food myself and went, hey, this actually makes a difference when you just simply take out all this bread that I was living on just to give me energy through the day. Like I, I was constantly eating like toasted sandwiches and things like that and just making me like I'd have that you know little bit of energy and then I'd fall asleep straight away kind of thing and so I never connected that dots until I took all that out took all that noise all that processed food I call it noise took it all out and then I could actually see that that was what was making the difference not the medication and what what was the the transition from paleo to more the the keto approach that you're on now how'd that look like Yeah. So I guess um, like I really love the philosophy of paleo. It really, the real food is where it's at for me. I don't like, especially when I'm doing a ketogenic style diet, I 
don't actually put any dairy in because I know it causes me issues uh, and I don't use any sweeteners or anything like that. So that might, some people might deem as keto friendly. I was just hearing how people were having even better success with keto and I just thought I'll give that a, a try. I'd like to see if you can apply the paleo principles with a ketogenic diet. And once I started doing that, I started feeling even more energetic, even more better than what I was before. And I was like, wow, there's something really in this. See, I feel like paleo is definitely on the right track. But when I came into the keto space, I kind of bypassed the whole paleo phase. I just went uh, straight from eating a whole bunch of crap pretty much to keto. Um, so like in your words, how would you describe paleo and, and how have you seen that uh, like that just transition over the past few years? Because paleo has been popular for quite a while, but I feel like it's changed as of lately. Yeah, I, th- I think the thing with paleo is that with the rise of popularity that brought forward a lot of paleo style products and because with paleo you don't really need to you can still have some honey if you want to you can still have uh paleo treats i guess people would call it so you know it might be okay to have a paleo brownie every now and then that i see still dysregulates a lot of people's blood sugar so they kind of transition over. They feel initially great because they've cleaned out that noise I was talking about. So that's all that processed foods. They're starting to eat more, you know, lovely fresh meats and vegetables and good fats. And they started to get that into the body and the body's responding really well because it hasn't had a lot of that. And then they kind of go back and start looking at, you know, oh, maybe I could have this uh, brownie if it's a paleo brownie and start, you know, adding more honey back into things or maple syrup or that kind of stuff. And it's, and then they're kind of relying on those, uh, I guess they're like, you know, copy foods, I suppose, you know, like, you know, we call it paleo-fied foods. And so then what was happening, people's blood sugar was starting to get quite a bit dysregulated. So they'd have to eat more and or they'll seek out more sugar. And, I can see that's kind of like keto sometimes is going a little bit that way, but I think with the tightening of the macronutrients, there's not as much room to move as the philosophy with paleo where you can just kind of uh, eat until you feel full. And I think people sometimes get a little bit stuck around that kind of way. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause like, I mean, I own a keto food product, but it's interesting to see how uh, like people have gotten a lot more lax with what they consider keto macros as the advent of all these products has kind of come to the market. I feel like with paleo, you have a lot more of a window there where you can just fluctuate the macros even more. And before you know it, you get all these laboratory foods that are technically paleo or technically keto, but in reality, it's the farthest thing from like a good quality, wholesome food. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and you guys in America, wow, when I come over there, I like make my first stop at Whole Foods. It's like, it's like a paleo um, candy store, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I go crazy when I go in there because you just can't get some of these foods in Australia and you just think, wow, look at all these options that you have. But it's very easy to be mistaken and go there and fill up your trolley full of these. They're still kind of processed foods. I mean, I recognize we live in a modern world. I have two young children. So we live in a world where, you know, convenience can, it makes life easier because we are becoming more and more busier, but it's those foods I would say are still, I, you know, even though they're called paleo, I would still say they're only sometimes foods or, you know, 
not all the time kind of foods. It's good to have those options and good to have choices. But if you're relying on those options and choices and not eating that fresh food, then you're going to find that when you first start out paleo, you're feeling fantastic. But as you get more relaxed, you're not going to get that feeling that you felt before. Maybe you might even get some weight gain creeping on. Maybe the blood sugar gets dysregulated. And like you were saying, us nutritional therapy practitioners love digestion. Maybe digestion is going to start slowing down. So if those things are starting to happen to you, then I would actually start looking at those foods first that you're buying from the supermarket that are or that are more processed or packaged and clearing those out first and getting more fresh food, food and uh, more vegetables and fresh meats and fats into you. Yeah. I've always said that, you know, the more wholesome the, the diet, the better. It's kind of like one of those 80, 20 analysis, you know, you have, if you just have hundred percent whole foods, you're going to kind of capitalize on all that has to offer. And then to kind of really fine tune things a little bit further, you can kind of tweak the macronutrient ratios, et cetera, et cetera to really get things dialed yeah. in. Um, what, what do you feel like, because I'm curious with you being in Australia, have you noticed that uh, like the, the momentum and the upward flux and interest in the keto diet has kind of peaked over there? Is it just now starting? Or what's your, what's your general pulse on the matter? I'd say we're still kind of in the, we're going, I think we're going down the peak because I think we're pretty much, paleo has been always been pretty, the big one in Australia because we have Pete Evans here and he's a really huge advocate for paleo. Uh, and then we saw kind of low carb coming through and then keto just really like hit it and people became quite interested in it. But at the moment it's a funny time of year cause it's like, we're coming into Christmas and I see the forums are actually starting to get more and more like that, you know, the Australian keto forums, there's more questions coming through. There's more people being interested, I guess, because it's holidays here. We, we have our summer vacation now. People are starting, they've got the time, they're starting to think about it. So I've just seen in the last few weeks, the forums start becoming more active again. And I guess they will until January because that's that time of year where people are interested in and have more time for their health. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a funny one because like you can see, uh, Carnival is starting to come through a bit here now. It's starting to get a bit more popular. But then, um, you know, recently from what I've seen with uh, Game Changers coming out, I've got so many friends I see on my Facebook feed just turning vegan <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> we could talk about that a little bit. You want to dive into that? Yeah, okay. We can talk about that. Um, um, I've, I've, have I you listened a lot to all of the people. podcasts? <laughs> There's all these podcasts, all this information is, it's just, it's daunting. Like I don't even know where to start. Um, but it is crazy how much of a hype that, that documentary built up. I know. Um, and just how it amazes me how someone can watch one movie and change their whole dietary philosophy mm-hmm. without even having any research. So friends of mine that might not have ever had any interest in nutrition, all of a sudden watch one movie and can change their whole philosophy and or they'll come to me and say oh what do you think about that movie <laughs> and I'm like well, it's it's a hard debate especially with friends you don't want to you know like say to them I think I, I think you're being stupid and I want to slap you across the face um you gotta have mm-hmm. a, a uh, educated response to them but I I think I just started with you know, I think people are having good success by going vegan because they're clearing out that noise I was talking about. They're transitioning off their processed foods, 
clearing out some of those things. So initially they're going to feel great. And then all of a sudden, I don't think they're going to feel great because we are omnivores. We're designed to eat both meat and plants. And I think that people don't see that bigger picture. Like what is our human body designed to eat? What are we, how are we designed to burn our energy? Like, I think there needs to be more awareness about that rather than focusing on, am I going to be strict vegan? Am I going to be strict carnivore? Am I going to be strict paleo? Even though I dabble or keto, I dabble in that world. I think we need to look at more bio-individually what is best for us and our bodies. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, if I had to, uh, they asked this on the Joe Rogan podcast debate, where like if, if you were faced with the decision to eat all animal for the rest of your life or all plant-based for the rest of your life, I would probably veer on the side of all animal-based. But I'm curious to see what, what you as a nutritional therapist would, would say. Yeah, that's hard because I would probably say, you know, knowing my body and how it works best, I would need the protein from the animal meats. I wouldn't be able to survive on just vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in fact, you know, I, I went on a retreat once and it was like a raw vegan diet kind of retreat, even though um, and I'm not sure why I was there because I was definitely not, you know, I'm not a I'm not against people having these dietary ways, but maybe I was there for the meditation or something like that. And within two days, I couldn't even go to the bathroom. My digestive system was just terrible. And we were only eating vegetables. There wasn't any grains or, or anything like that in it. So I just know I couldn't survive just on raw vegetables alone. Yeah, that, that's a tricky one. I can't imagine. I mean, if you cook the vegetables, you're able to kind of break down that cell wall and then harness some of the nutrients. But if you're just eating 100% pure raw vegetables. I can't imagine that would be very good for your digestive tract. That's right. And I'm a, you know, busy mum and I'm in my 40s and I need protein. Like I can't survive. Like I know during the day if my protein or fat is lower uh, than what it should be, I'm hungry. And mm-hmm. if, you know, I've kind of like learned intuitively that I need that protein to and fats to get through the day. Totally. So I I don't consider myself a carnivore by any stretch of the imagination. I, I say that I'm carnivore-esque because most of what I'm eating is animal-based. But I'm curious to see, like, I, I cannot, I was talking about this this morning, actually. I, I can't pick any moment in time where I've had vegetables of any type and noticed a tangible benefit from them. So could you kind of dive into how vegetables can be leveraged you know, coming from someone that is keto, paleo, whole foods, like how can you use vegetables and what's like some tangible things you should be looking for to notice an improvement? Yeah. So with our veggies, especially if we're eating nutrient dense veggies, we're going to get all our vitamins and minerals from those. And I think where some of the good benefits of uh, people eating them are going to come in is maybe not in something that you can kind of see, like, you know, when we eat a great steak, you've like, I've got heaps of energy and I feel fantastic. If we eat veggies, we might not like feel that, but that's going into the cells of our body and giving us um, our vitamins and minerals, which we need to thrive, you know, might build up our immune system to stop us from getting sick often, all those kind of things. And I, I feel like, you know, carnivore is a great, therapeutic diet when you're doing it properly like as in uh, you're eating the nutrient dense offal and you're eating a variety of meats you're not just eating 
steak every day, just the one type of meat, like eating a variety uh, so that you can get all the different nutrients like, you know, out of liver, all the vitamins and minerals that are in that if you're eating good quality mm-hmm. offal. Um, but if you're just eating the steak every day, you're not going to get those. So that's where veggies can come in and be really important for you there. I mean, they also do lots of other things. So we've known, I think humans have always had this inherent relationship with plants, right, throughout um, history. And we know that certain plants can give certain benefits for us. So one thing when I see my clients that are doing a ketogenic diet is they'll they'll tend to stay away from foods like beetroot, right? Because beetroot can be higher in sugars and, you know, might be perceived to kick someone out of ketosis. So, but beetroot is really, really good for digestion and for thinning bile. And so when we're eating our good fats, we want to have thin bile going through the body to, um, to be able to digest those fats better. So they actually work very synergistically together. And, you know, there's other ways, like if you don't want to sit down and eat a whole beet, and we're not, basically, I'd like to say we're not sitting down and eating a whole beetroot, right? Because we're just going to eat a little bit and a variety of the, of that. So yeah, I can def, there's definitely um, benefits to having vegetables in that way because they're, you know, doing like bitter greens, they're going to be great for your digestion as well. Um, and yeah, so getting a little of a bit of variety of those in, but we're not talking about sitting down and, um, you know, eating like plates and plates of it basically. Right. Right. Like I definitely, uh, you know, kind of steer towards the you know nose to tail when it comes to eating meat. Like I try and get all my organ meats in. Um, I try and you know I'll take like a desiccated liver pill stuff like that. Um, I do a lot of hunting as well, so a lot of the meat that I'm getting. I mean, literally every single day I eat a piece of meat that's wild game meat, so that's pretty high in nutrient density. Um, if you're on top of that and you're eating all the nutrient dense organ meats, nose to tail style, are you? I mean, because those those have all been shown to have higher nutrient qualities than than most vegetables out there like I don't I can't think of any vegetables that are higher in nutrients there um so it's like from a nutrient vitamin mineral standpoint if you're following more of that nose tail approach are you necessarily missing out on anything if your digestion is going good no I think that most people in the world that we circulate in, in that kind of bubble of nutrition are probably doing it the right way I think where people come unstuck is they're seeing they look up to someone like yourself or listen to your podcast and they then say, oh, I'm kind of interested in this. I'm going to give it a go. And like I said, then just eat the one type of meat. They're not eating that variety of um, different meats. But if you're metabolically flexible and you're eating awful regularly, I can't see where there's any more benefit to include some vegetables unless your body's telling you, like you should be tapped in and intuitive there. If your body, if you're, going past some leafy greens one day and your body is like, I'd really love to have a plate of those. Then I say that's your body giving you a, a nudge to, to have include some of those in your diet for that day and eating more intuitively about w- what your body needs is the best way to go about it because then you get that bio-individualized kind of diet that suits you best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely days where I'll have like a hankering for a big old salad or something and I'll have it and I won't think twice about it. Like I don't beat myself up about it by any means. Um, what, what's your take on the, like the greens, uh, like superfoods and like power foods that have like basically just ultra concentrated amounts of these, uh, micronutrient dense greens, but like in a, a powder formula where they can just add it to water. Is that a pretty good way to kind of hedge your bets, so to speak? 
Um, I mean, if you feel like your body is lacking in some of those nutrients, it could possibly be beneficial for some people, but like, why can't you just eat the green? Like I'm, I'm more go for a whole food wherever possible. So like, especially like when you think of um, adding lemon oils to drinks or something like that to get the benefits of lemon, why not just squeeze a lemon into your water? Like <laughs> there's nothing wrong with our, our whole foods. I mean, you're getting with the greens, you're getting a high dose of greens in there straight away, but does your body need all that greens all at once? I'm, I think it's very bio-individualized to the person. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, let's, let's dive into digestion then for sure. Cause like you said, a lot of NTPs are all about the digestion. So what do you see, like with all the NTPs I've had on the, on the podcast before, one of the things that comes up is, uh, people being deficient in hydrochloric acid basically, and they're not really fully absorbing the nutrients they're taking in. Do you like, just speak on that for a moment. I'd be keen to get your take on that. Yeah. So, I guess that's a big one we love to focus on because like a lot of people are stressed these days and when we're stressed, digestion is off because it, it just stops that process of the digestive cascade working. And so when we're stressed, then our, like, you know, like I'm saying the digestive cascade's not working and then our hydrochloric acid production stops. And when, our hydrochloric acid production lowers, then we're not able to break down that food in our, in our gut properly. And it's a big one because like, do you know many people these days that aren't stressed? No, I'm certainly not one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I like talk to many people these days. I just, I can't, I don't know anyone that doesn't have some form of stress. And so if we're not, you know, if our hydrochloric acid production is like stopping then we're not breaking down that food. And then that's when that food can um, sit in the stomach undigested. And that's when we can um, go like lead to further signs and symptoms like um, leaky gut, which is, you know, the food's not being absorbed, like broken down properly and it's crossing over. And then we get food allergies and food sensitivities and all those kind of things happening. So like hydrochloric acid is a, is a big one because a lot of people don't realize that they're lacking in it. They actually think they have, too uh, too much of it because they get that acid feeling up in the in the digestive tract and so when they have that then they go and reach for some uh i i guess you have the same kind of ones over there but like tums or rennies mm -hmm. or yeah mylanta those kind of neutralizing so you they try to neutralize their stomach acid which is even worse because then that's you know there's no acid being formed there. So then we've got nothing that's able to come up and kill any pathogens or break down any food. Uh, and so we're kind of just in this cascade of um, digestive issues, just starting from there. And like it's, we can supplement with hydrochloric acid and that can get the stomach acid working again. And we can try things like apple cider vinegar and water to get our digestive tract working. We can try bitter foods, which is where veggies are good at coming in because bitter greens can stimulate that digestive um, process uh, or the big one though is like you can you can do all these things but if you're not addressing stress in your life or how you perceive the stress then you're going to continue to cut that digestive process off right at the very beginning and have that flow and effect through the whole body that makes a lot of sense with, with regard to the apple cider vinegar do you find like, is, is there any downside to supplement with that? Like if somebody's 
really deficient in uh, acid, isn't isn't the the base of the vinegar going to cancel that out even more? Well, um, I think that maybe they might, if they're, they're, they're really deficient, the apple cider vinegar might cause more burning, I guess, that kind of feeling. And so they might just need to take a step back and just try something really even um, slower. But what happens is that the vinegar or the acid in the in there stimulates the stomach acid. So it just causes that a bit of acid in there causes that acid to kind of, I guess, um, I don't know the technical term, but I, I kind of like can see it in my head as, you know, it comes up and starts creating more acid so that, so it starts that kind of chemical process in the body. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, let's talk about nutrition for children. Cause you had mentioned that before we started recording and I'm really keen to learn more about that. I don't have any kids yet, but crystals, wanting something so i want to be proactive and learn a thing or two about it um so what's your take on on nutrition for kids especially as it relates to the lower carb approach and fueling them during the early years when they're really growing as rapidly as Mm. they do definitely so i have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old and when i was uh, first going down my real food approach I looked at what I was feeding my son. He was only a little baby then, and he was having uh, like apple juice and, you know, um, cookies in his lunchbox and squeezy yogurts with lots of sugar in it. And my mum had said to me once, like, I think he's got behavioural issues or something like that, and he's only like a little toddler. And I was like, no, that's, you know, it's too early for any of this stuff to be happening. Well, she's like, you know, when he, you know, after lunch he seems to be going crazy and running around and, once I started becoming more empowered and understanding what was happening to me, I looked at his food and then was like, yeah, maybe she's got a point there. He's just eating pure sugar all day. So I really need to do something about that. And I found, you know, what worked best for us was to actually transition him. If we had went straight in there and just took the apple juice away from him, which he was having a glass or two a day, he would probably have just completely, you know, gotten really upset and would have been traumatic for all of us so what we did was we started replacing just a little bit of that apple juice like watering it down just a little bit more and more until we kind of got rid of it we give him a little bit of homemade kombucha just and watered that down just so that it was still that similar kind of color like apple juice we got rid of his squeezy yogurts and started um, giving full fat greek yogurt and realized that was making a really good difference with him as well And then by the time my daughter came along, I was already uh, eating real food paleo for quite a while then. And she basically just came out of the, you know, the womb just, you know, running. Like she was super, could could give her anything. Like she was the type of child that if you, like if she was sitting on my lap, she would just reach out and eat whatever was on your plate, would never question any foods we were having and would grab like a sauerkraut jar and drink the juice out of it. And I thought, oh, this is amazing. Like this is the difference between, you know, a, a child, like my son still kind of has fussy eating issues um, because he, he, I guess he's had the taste of the other food before where she never did. And then we throw school into the mix. And once school started, <laughs> everything started changing and you don't seem to have as much control over what you're feeding them when they're away from you and that can cause uh, a lot of issues as well because now they're like oh well 
someone has this in their lunchbox and can we get it when when you're going through the supermarket all that kind of stuff so when i was looking at the big picture i just thought that the kids eat what we eat i don't make any different meals at dinner time they might have actually a little bit more um, carbohydrates and what we do because they're able to run and burn it off, but they're still not having any processed carbohydrates. And when we do their lunchbox, they're not having sandwiches and things like that in it. Um, like the other kids are, they might just, in fact, my son loves taking um, some prosciutto and some olives and a boiled egg and those kind of things in his lunchbox. So he's basically having what his friends are having on sandwiches, but without the bread. Mm -hmm. And I don't give them a dietary philosophy as such other than they're eating nutrient-dense whole foods. We don't call it keto, paleo, low-carb or anything like that. They're just eating foods that are going to fuel their body to give them the best energy. Do you ever like have them go to like a birthday party or something with friends and then there'd be like birthday cake there and they just feel terrible afterwards? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I love telling this story. I remember being at a Christmas party and all of the food was just piled out on tables. And I always bring a plate wherever I go. So I know that there's going to be food there that the family can eat. But my son, he, he was just like, this is like a, you know, a smorgasbord of all these foods. And I looked over and I saw this child sitting under a table, shoving cupcakes into his mouth one after the other. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what's happening here? And I I didn't say anything at the time, even though, like, you know, personally I was kind of like, oh, my gosh, have I ruined this child and can he not control himself around food? Or is it that my dietary issues imposed on him or is it just because he's being given free range, he's, you know, learning to make his own choices? You know, parents kind of go through all this kind of mm -hmm. conflict all the time. And he came up to me and he said, oh, mom, I feel really sick. And I said, what do you think caused that? What's giving you the pain in the stomach? And he said, I think it's because I ate all this food. And I said, well, what do you think you'll do next time? And he said, I'll probably just eat the food you bring because it doesn't make me feel this way. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, good. That's, I think that in itself was the best lesson you could ever give rather than I could have went up to him. I could have pulled him out from under the table and taken all that food off him and, you know, told him, you know, get rid of that out of your mouth or, or whatever. But I don't think that would have worked. I think, you know, that might've made him even more rebellious or, you know, might've made him want to, you know, not understand, but he actually felt it and we talked about it. And I think that was the best lesson. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I feel like that's one of the things that the kids are going to have to kind of learn on their own. Um, otherwise, I mean, you, you can definitely lead by example, but at some point they're, they're going to get experimental and they're going to just have to know, you know, by their own doing how it's going to make them feel. Um, but with them eating like the, the lower carbs, I'm sure they're eating lower carbs relative to mm. their peers. Um, yeah. has there been any issue whatsoever with their like growth and development? I can't imagine there would be. No, I like, I, our children very rarely get sick, you know, kids come home, uh, around cold and flu season and they're like, you know, like all their friends are constantly sick with runny noses and things like that. And my children very rarely get sick at all. They've got really great energy levels. Uh, yeah, I can't see that there's been any problem with, you know, and that's always the thing that I say because we're just feeding them real food, right? We're just feeding them unprocessed meats and vegetables and healthy fats. Like 
how can you say that that is the that is wrong nutrition to feed a child like i can't i i find it crazy that people would even think that yeah it's it's honestly mind-boggling like i've heard stories of, of people you know having the police called on it because they they've publicly admitted that they're not feeding their kids a bunch of processed carbs and people think that they're malnourishing their children and i'm like how backwards are we when we think the norm is to just give them oreos and gogurts and all this other stuff that you see in the in the supermarkets that are the farthest thing from actual food i know it's it's ridiculous to think that and i guess i'm really lucky where i live we have a lot of families around us that are able to afford good foods and so when we go to school and we bring plates quite often the mums will come up to me because they know i you know i'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and i'm all about real food and they've seen me do events and stuff around the local area they'll ask me you know what did you bring how do you make that can i have the recipe and the other thing i do is i go into my children's classroom once every term or so and uh, when we can and just do some cooking with the children so i'll go in there and i'll like it's summer here and we were talking about ice cream and how you know and these are like we're talking to like grade one here i'm like how does ice cream make you feel when you eat one and everyone's like good and then i'm like and then afterwards and they're like oh i go a little bit crazy and i'm like what is your mom and dad saying they're like sit down settle down and i'm like do you know what's in ice cream? And they're, and kids are like really smart. They're like sugar. And I'm like, yeah. And you know why we don't want to eat too much sugar. And then they tell me, and I was like, well, today I've brought in a healthier version of how to make ice cream. And this one has just coconut milk in it and frozen berries. Who wants to try it? And they all try it. And they're like, I've never eaten anything like this before. This is so good. And someone's like, I like this better than ice cream. And, you know, so it's like a really good learning environment. And I think that, just getting out into the community and doing that is going to change people's perceptions over like, am I malnourishing my children because I didn't feed them an ice cream? No. <laughs> yeah. That, that's so huge. I mean, there's, there's so much to be said for the, the taste and how your taste changes based off of what you're putting in. And like, if you're giving the kids quality, wholesome foods from the, from the front end, then they'll know going into it what tastes good and what tastes bad. I mean, my palate has changed like 180 degrees since I got off all the processed foods. And, I mean, kids, like I said, they're smart. They can recognize that as well. And they recognize that mm-hmm. they feel good if they're out playing and, you know, they can't keep up with the other kids because their stomach hurts. Like, nobody wants that. Yeah, that's right. And I so agree with you. Like, I think my children definitely have a different uh, palate. And so when they might see those foods, because we're conditioned, you know, like, prime you know from our primitive days to seek out these sweet foods i can see my children zeroing in on these foods because it's their primal instinct but then they might eat one or two bites and they're like nah i'm Mm -hmm. done i can't have any more of that so i think that's kind of the best way for them to learn is you know like you were saying like lead by example at home because that's a really good place to to do that um and give them their meals like we always have dinner together it's always we sit down we eat a nutrient dense food all together that's the one meal that i know is going to set them upright and then same again with breakfast and then what they do through the day um, really depends on their their choices i give them you know a set amount of food because we're lucky we can take our lunches to school here uh and then but it's out of my control i can only hope that they have learned and listened 
to the example that I'm setting here at home for them. I love it. I love it. I've got a tricky one for you. Okay. What about when they go to like spend time with you know grandparents or relatives that don't really see eye to eye with with you regarding nutrition? They just like let them eat whatever, and then like how do you how do you moderate that? Like me personally, I feel like if I you know let my my kids, my future kids, stay with my parents, for instance, and my dad's all about these cinnamon rolls he makes. I feel like I would just go ballistic <laughs> if I know he's like forcing these kids how to you know to eat a bunch of carbs and sugars and stuff. Like how do you handle that? Yeah, so I, I know my parents like taking my children to McDonald's because I seem to deprive my children of that childhood experience. But I like to kind of point out that, you know, that childhood experience didn't really help me a lot because <laughs> I was like very tired and sick as a child, as I said earlier. But um, I think that what I do is like, so my children, it's it's um, summer vacation here. We just started it yesterday. I rang my mum. The, the children are going down there for five days with them. And I said to my mum, I'm doing a fruit and veg order at the moment. Can I order you some things? And so I went through on the phone with her and we went through and picked, oh, you want some lettuce? You want some tomatoes? You want some um, cucumbers? Okay, great. I've got to do a meat order next soon. Do you want me to grab some meat for you while I'm doing it? So basically I'm taking all the food down to my mum's house. And my mum, luckily, you know, most of our diet was just um, our dinner food was always just like steak and veg, mm -hmm. probably just missing the healthy fats off it. So I just take the food down to my mum and dad's and then she'll just cook with the food that's there because she doesn't like any food wastage. And then they might have the occasional treat with the kids where they might do pizza one night, they might do McDonald's, but they're not doing it every day. Yeah. And I know that that's the best that we can do in that situation. And sometimes you've just, for the sake of family, I guess, you've got to let go just a little bit. Like you don't have to let go of your philosophy and your whole way of living. But in the big scheme of things, I personally feel if it's better, if it's, it's okay for them to have it every now and then when they go down there, but not all the time every day. Yeah, it's a really good really good protocol i've never heard the, heard it explained like that that makes total sense because like my, my folks are the same way they don't like to see food go to waste so if i'm providing the food i mean they're going to be incentivized to make sure it gets eaten yeah that's right and i mean if they're filling your children up with the fruit and veg that you've brought there because they don't want it to go to waste and your dad gives them one little cinnamon roll and they're, they're probably going to find that they're pretty full anyway right, and they're not right. going to sit there and eat the whole lot the whole time and I, I think it's also important to, to recognize that there are family tra traditions and food is a great way of connecting people and community together. And if your dad's way of connecting with his future grandchildren is to offer them a cinnamon roll and they only have it the, on the occasional one or two times they go down there, there's more to that than just the food. Like I know a lot of people listening that are very dogmatic about their diet philosophies could be like, oh my gosh, she's just saying eat the cinnamon roll. But I feel like we can, that can cause stress in itself. That can cause uh, issues in the body once that stress process starts up. So if it means it's a good way that your, your dad and their future grandchild are going to connect together and it's only on the occasion, I think like let it go it's a good bonding experience for them that's true I, I definitely do agree it's just crazy that that food could have such a uh you know sentimental effect like that that to me is is interesting 
Yeah, I think, but it's always been that way, I I think. like, it, And it's not so much about the food either, really. It is that kind of coming together and being together and spending time together. I think just food is that common thread that binds people together. And maybe you can start new traditions that don't involve food. Maybe, uh, you know, like with Christmas coming up, start a tradition where uh, instead of, you know, eating all the food, and, well, you know, people still eat all the food, but then maybe part of that tradition is to then go around the um, block for a walk afterwards to kind of get the body moving rather than going and having a nap like a lot of people do after yeah, Christmas yeah. lunch. Very true. <laughs> and um, I guess, you know, in America it's it's uh, winter time, so maybe you not, might not be able to get out for a walk. But I know in Australia, like, it's very common to go out and have a game of cricket in the backyard Uh straight after Christmas lunch. So we're quite active because it's summer here. But maybe there's another tradition. Maybe um, instead of sitting around and eating all the the chocolates and foods, you can read. Uh, there's a special story that you always read together. Or there's a, I know my husband's family, there's a, there's a really funny movie that's an old kind of black and white movie that they always put on after Christmas lunch that is more about everyone sitting around together and having that laugh and that tradition rather than the food tradition. That's true. That's a good point. We don't we don't walk for a block, but we do go split firewood. So that's a good physical oh, yeah. activity. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so speaking of the kid nutrition, what like for anybody listening that has kids and they're kind of wanting to to wean them off or at least replace something that is like a typical kid favorite. What's one thing that you've been preparing over the years for your kids that that is just like a hundred percent better than what's what's the alternative and and that your kids have really enjoyed eating. Oh yeah. So there's so many foods like that. When I think about the lunch boxes, I know, and I assume it might be the same in America. Like I was talking before, a lot of people have those squeeze kind of yogurts. It's Mm -hmm. like a, it's very easy for kids just to suck one of those down, but they're not actually even starting their digestive process by doing that. They're basically, most will be having a drink and then it's highly, it's full of like, um, you can get those fruit ones or you can get yogurt ones and they're just full of sugar basically. Mm So you can buy pouches now that are empty and you can fill them up with whatever you want um, inside of those. But even better, I find, is just to buy the whole straight like Greek yogurt, full-fat Greek yogurt uh, or coconut yogurt if you're not doing dairy and buy some uh, frozen berries, some fresh, like some, uh, sorry, frozen organic berries or some fresh berries and just sprinkle a little bit of those on top and put some cacao nibs on top of that. And my kids feel like they like the crunch of the cacao nibs and then they like the the cooling of the yogurt and the and the berries and it gives them that little sweet taste with the berries there. And that's just a really simple, uh, like that could be an afternoon tea, that could be in the lunchbox, that could be a dessert. Uh, and I just think that that's just something that my kids really like is that one. I love it. I love it. I might be taking notes here for when when I do eventually yeah. have the kids. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, sure your kids will be well fed and well educated. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We'll we'll definitely have um meat at the dinner table for sure. It won't be any <laughs> um it won't be a vegan based home, I don't think, by any means. That's right. I and my babies loved to chew on like lamb chops, you know, mm-hmm. and they just have the the lamb bone or Whenever we were having a roast dinner, they would get the bone out of the roast and just chew on that. That's like the best teething ring you can have. You don't need those 
bread sticks, those really hard, disgusting bread things they chew on. Mm-hmm. Um, we call them rusks. I don't know what you call them, but um, they would just love the bone off the meat and just chew on that. And that was really great for teething. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, you're getting like all the collagen and all the, uh, you know, all of that, that gristle, all that's going to be good for, you know, joints, health, everything. Um, I feel like I feel very blessed and fortunate because I grew up in an environment where we had land to hunt and I was just raised knowing where my food came from. Like we've always had, we used to have cattle, we had chickens, we have lamb. Uh, so like I would see my dad, you know, as a, as a young kid, I would see my dad, you know, go butcher a, a deer or a lamb. And then I, I, a few hours later I had that lamb or deer on my, on my plate. And I feel like a lot of kids are just removed from that equation these days and there's just oh, this yeah. massive disconnect, but that's what I think we should I, all go back to. I so agree with you. And wherever we can, we always talk to our children about where the food is coming from. I think that's really important. I think when you're looking at transitioning your children over, number one, have dinner together. Like just start with one meal, turn off all the devices, all of your any noise, anything like that. Sit down and have that proper family meal like we used to probably do as children and a lot of people these days are eating on the run just make that one meal that time when the whole family is there that you can all come together and then talk about where that food is coming from so we have a local farmer not far from us we've been out to his property and we've been camping out there and we stayed on the property we showed the kids where the food was coming from when we eat this beautiful meat this is where it comes from And unfortunately, at the moment, most of Australia is in severe drought. Mm -hmm. And even though our farmer is a regenerative farmer, he's done, they've done quite well until now, the drought has just gotten them. And I was showing the children how the water in the dam where we used to go swimming when we were camping is totally dry now, just looks like rocks. And how they're having to look at other measures to kind of drought proof their property. Uh, And it's costing a lot of money and it's putting a lot of farmers out of business. And I showed the children this and one thing they asked, which to me is just absolutely amazing, was whether they could donate part of their Christmas present money to the farmer to help him out during this time. And I just thought that's so amazing that these kids understand where their food is coming from and how important it is for us that they would donate some money from their Christmas presents to the farmer to help their food out, basically where their food comes from. So that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. I, I'm I'm still blown away by how amazing the children were about that. And I just think that if we if just talk to our children more about where the food was coming from, a lot more children and families would be more empowered and, and want to help our farmers out because that's where our food's coming from. Well, it's it's interesting because I feel like we're in this weird generational gap right now. Like I'm I'm twenty eight and I I grew up doing that kind of stuff. I do that kind of stuff today we have a family farm that's been in my family for four or five generations now but most of my peers have never really been exposed to that so all of my friends that are now having kids you know they're raising these kids having no inkling of an idea what what that style of living was like and you know it's not the kids fault obviously it's not even the parents fault because they just weren't exposed to it but you have all these cartoon shows and movies that portray animals as you know, basically human characters with personalities that can talk and, and there's nothing against that. But it basically paints this picture to the children that these animals are, you know, totally fine. They're just like a friend. 
and they don't, <laughs> it just totally dissociates where the food comes from. And I feel like that is a, a generational issue, but I think it's mm-hmm. more prominent now than it's ever been before. Uh, yeah, I so agree. And because we have so much supermarkets and people, you know, like people in our circle know that we go to the farmer's markets and we support our farmers, but the average person, they just see the large supermarket. It's convenient. They go there. Their children think that's where food comes from. Mm-hmm. Like they don't associate that back to a farm. There's not a lot of education out there saying actually this food in here was brought on a truck and that truck came from a warehouse and then another truck to that farm, you know, came from the farm. And then just even thinking about that, like how many times that food has been handled just to get to that supermarket, let's cut all of that out, go and visit our farmer and just get the food straight from there. We don't need all this in-between stuff. Totally. Y'all, y'all get a lot of meats from uh, kangaroo there, right? Yeah. Well, kangaroos are quite overpopulated here. So a lot of people have been turning to the kangaroo meat. It's actually, it's quite nutrient dense, but it doesn't have a lot of fat on it. So it's quite, um, because, you know, if you think of a kangaroo, they're like very active and bouncing around. They're quite lean. So there's mm-hmm. not a lot of actual fatty meat on a kangaroo. Is that like, it a, tastes- like a season for kangaroo? Is it just all done through ranching, like farming and ranching practices? I mean, how is that regulated? <laughs> it just, it's wild caught, I'd say. I don't, I don't know of any actual people farming the kangaroos i think they're just wild and they go out and they shoot them and then they process that the, the meat down for that i don't believe there's any farming because they're just like they're just kind of everywhere so and not not in the cities obviously but out in the country they're kind of just all around so they're very easy to come by huh. so it's kind of like deer or like wild boar here for yeah. instance you would love it. You'd go hunting. You can go out. They call it roo shooting. <laughs> roo shooting. You can go out roo shooting with some farmers. and <laughs> um, Yeah, and then they uh, use the skins, obviously, to the fur to make things out of, like deer. It's the same kind of process, yeah. Well, that's good. I would imagine that that's a pretty nutrient-dense meat that's kind of in surplus there, so that'd be a good good outlet to get some quality protein in. Very high in protein, definitely. Uh and I guess, you know, Australians are a bit spoilt though because we do have a variety of like we, lamb is easy to come by and um, we do have a lot of cattle farming and, and poultry and stuff like that. So I, have, I feel like a lot of people actually in Australia feed their pets kangaroo meat rather than eating it as well. It's not like it's not like something you just sit down and say, oh, I'm having kangaroo tonight. Not a I mean, it's becoming, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's becoming more popular, but it's definitely something that, oh, yeah, I feed my dog that. So, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. You have a bunch of like quality grass-fed uh, beef, though, especially in New Zealand, right? Yeah, well, over in New Zealand, it's practically all grass over there, all grass-fed, which is which is great. They get a lot more rainfall than us, and it's more green over there. Um, so their lamb from New Zealand is always grass-fed. But I I feel like you know in Australia we do have feedlots and stuff, but not as much as you guys do, and we do have a lot more land for cattle just to be kind of grazing around. So a lot of them cattle we get is already and sheep um, are already grass fed basically because they're just living on the land like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very interesting. I'm going to have to make a trip out there for sure. When, when is the, um, the low carb down under? It's usually in October each year. So you should definitely come out at that time of year because it's nice here in Australia. It's not like, super hot today or yesterday it was in i think it was like 
in the high 100s Fahrenheit. So it's pretty hot. <laughs> it, gets pretty, it gets pretty hot here. And where I live in Brisbane, it's like um, semi-tropical, so we don't get uh, any snow at all. Like the first time I saw real snow was when I came over for low-carb Denver this yeah. year and went to the Rocky Mountains. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is snow? Wow. <laughs> oh, shoot, I was at low-carb Denver. I didn't see it. I guess we hadn't yeah. mentioned it at that point, though. There was a lot of people there. It was there the biggest was. event I've been to. Are you going to be going to any of the ones here coming up? Uh, I'm the only plans I have next year is to go to the nutritional therapy association conference in March or end of Feb, March in Portland. So I'll be over there for that. And then I think low carb Denver is the weekend after. Um, but this, and this is what I did last, uh, this year I did both, but I think this year I just, the Australian dollar to the American dollar is so bad. Like I basically give you guys my $50 note and I get like $20 back. So that's not good. (laughs) Well, shoot, I'll just have to come see y'all. Then I'll come down to the, the low carb or the, yeah, low carb down under. Yeah, definitely. You have to let us know. We should get you speaking on there or something if we can. Absolutely. I'll come eat some kangaroo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take you out roo shooting. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, awesome. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but uh, where, where can people go to find out more about you, learn more about the nutritional therapy and, and uh, stay in touch? Yeah, so you can find me at Nourishing Conversations. That's uh, on Instagram and Facebook. I also uh, have a podcast called Low Carb Conversations. So you can find me at www.lowcarbconversations.com. And my other website is nourishingconversations.com. So pretty much uh, if you're in Australia, you can find me just about everywhere in the Low Carb Down Under group, in the Brisbane Paleo group all around the social media uh and um yeah it's just it's um i love it like i've just got my hands in so many fingers because <laughs> yeah, yeah. i just can't get enough of it i'm just so passionate about spreading the word of real food and lower carbohydrate diets well i really admire what you're doing you know like in the the local setting like teaching teaching younger kids how to cook and cooking for them at school i mean that's that speaks volumes that's that's pretty cool thank you community is so important and that's you know, if there's anything I can urge listeners to to do, which is what Jimmy Moore urged me to do right back in the beginning was like connect with that community, go and form your local groups, get together, cook together, learn and teach off each other because that's that's the best way to, sp- to spread the word and to get involved in um, learning more about low carb. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Let's definitely keep in touch. And if there's ever anything I can do for you, just just let me know. Thank you. And, and same here. I'd love to meet you in Australia one day. Absolutely. I'll plan on it. <laughs> Thanks. Take care. <laughs>